0: which is a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Let's now respond to God's word with a singing of Psalm 66. Psalm 66, the verses 4 and 6. singing our praise to God. For this morning is Psalm 100, and as we just read it, we won't read it again, but I encourage you to open it up so you can follow along as we make our way through this psalm, this beautiful psalm. beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to have you ask yourselves for a moment, how are you feeling today as you come in to worship? And looking ahead to the new year, how do you think that will change as the new year sets in? You might be thinking right now, what, what kind of question is that? You might think, well, I feel good for the moment, maybe. But that'll soon change. The holidays will soon be over and I'll be saying goodbye to my family. The house is about to get a lot more gloomy and we've got a a cold, gray winter without any snow ahead. My bank account is... I'm not even going to bother making New Year's resolutions this year because I know that as soon as I make them, well, they'll start to fail within short order. It can be a difficult time of year with these gray days and looking ahead to the new year you might be thinking so how will things be different for me and it might be that you come up with nothing i see not much that's different for myself in this new year but for a short time this sunday you have entered in to church to worship together as a body. For a short time this Sunday, the Lord frees us to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of our own personal difficulties, and to fix them on Him in worship. It's a quiet relief from the busyness of life. It's a moment in which we can come In humble submission, equal together in value in the eyes of God, regardless of our status as boss or employee, as husband or wife, or as rich or indebted. Today, we will be looking at this and reflecting on this through the lens of Psalm 100, Psalm 100, this recognition that the Lord gives us the opportunity to take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on Him, even in the midst of our difficulties. In Psalm 100, we see a fourfold division. It's like a mini symphony, with every new section being a new movement and every movement having its own progression. And it's actually really beautiful. In verses 1 to 2, we see the initial call to enjoy Him. Verse 3, we see the call to know Him. And verse 4, we see that grow into a call to draw near to Him, with verse 5 being a call to rely on Him. And so we'll look at this today under those four points and the following theme. Come to the Lord with thanksgiving. First of all, enjoy Him. Second, know Him. Third, draw near to him, and fourth, rely on him. From the setting of, uh, fr- from the uh, words of this psalm, we can see that the setting of the psalm seems to be during a pilgrimage to the temple for a feast day. You can see that language coming up as he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, moving towards the temple itself. It seems that at the time of the writing of this psalm, the Jews found themselves in the diaspora, scattered throughout the nations, throughout all of the earth. It wasn't always easy for them, But it was what they knew. Living among the Gentiles, scattered abroad, they had made their homes where they dwelt. They had built their businesses and they had built their lives there. They had had their family there. But they recognized that their true home was always the Holy Land. And on a feast day, the feast day would come and the cry would go up, Let us go to the house of the Lord. And from all of these lands, all around, pilgrims would gather, traveling over hill and mountains through rivers and valleys, reaching the land of Israel itself. And then from there, climbing ever higher until they see the holy city appear before them on a hill, shining in the sun. And the feast days were a recognition for them of the goodness of the Lord towards his people. And so our psalmist begins by calling to these pilgrims, reminding them of that. Our psalmist begins by calling out to them in the farthest reaches of the world, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Or, as you might find it in other translations, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. He's calling to the faithful people of God scattered throughout all of these lands. It's a day of celebration that's approaching for them. It's an opportunity for them to revel in the goodness of their Lord, their God. Much like we today can look forward to that, actually, with with Christmas this coming week. Being able to revel in the goodness of God to us with the giving of his Son. You'll notice that it's the covenant name of the Lord that's used here. By seeing the capital letters Lord come through. And it's an important point for the Psalm. Because this name, as it went out to the nations, this declaration, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. As this went out to the nations, you could see that this isn't meant for everybody in general, but it's specifically meant to those who recognize the Lord as their covenant God. He is the one who has established a relationship with them. Now, the Jews might be scattered among the nations, surrounded by other gods, but they're being called out of those nations, away from their false gods. And they're being called to rejoice in the one true God, their God. Sunday after Sunday, we have the same call go out. As we gather for worship, You and I are called in from the world. We are called in not just to do something that's a requirement. Not just to tick off a box because it's right. You know, sometimes there can be that attitude when people come to church. Well, it's it's just the expected thing to do. I'm a reformed Christian and we come to church twice on a Sunday. And if I didn't, I would stand out. So I probably should come. I guess it's a good thing to do anyways. But this isn't just the call to come before the Lord and worship. This psalm is teaching us to recognize that we have been called out of the nations by this covenant Lord, by a God who has established a relationship with his people. What a privilege that is. If it wasn't for the sake of God, no one would believe. No one would believe. But we, we who do believe, we have the privilege of being gathered together from the nations as his covenant people. He is the one true God. He's the one who's chosen to establish a relationship with his people. And from the beginning of the world, he's been gathering for himself a church and a people, starting in the Garden of Eden itself with Adam and Eve. From then to today, he's been calling them out of the world to love him, to follow him, and to obey him with all of their hearts. And this call goes out to you as well. This call goes out to you as well. How incredible is that? And that's what—that's what's the first thing that God's people are called to do. That's what is the first thing that the people God are called to do—to to recognize that. And what's their first response as they recognize that? Again, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The author of our psalm today is telling the people, This is your God. You have the opportunity to leave everything behind you for a time. You have the opportunity to gather together as his people, being called out from all of the nations. You have the privilege to worship him as your covenant God, as your God. Enjoy him. Enjoy him. Just enjoy him. That is the privilege that you have. People will sometimes have this picture of God as a demanding taskmaster with a series of boxes for you to check off. And, and perhaps their idea is of, of him being someone you need to carefully walk around on, on tiptoes, on walking on eggshells in case you disturb him. It's like the hurting home in which you have that one parent who everyone has to be on their best behavior around when they come home tired. Just in case because the moment you do something wrong, that parent will explode in anger. You never know what will set them off. But that's not God. God is good. For the people of Israel, they would be reminded by this name, covenant name of Lord, how He was the God who brought them out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. He chose them from the nations as His own. And for us today we're also reminded of how He freed us. Yes, He is a just God. But if you have put your faith in Him through Jesus Christ, you have salvation. His justice, His wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. And Christ's righteousness belongs to you. And you stand free and righteous before Him. His justice is satisfied. If you've been saved, you need only to expect the Father whose arms are open. But more than that, He is a God who wants you to enjoy His presence. Who calls you here in this psalm to enjoy His presence. Beloved, this is your God. This is your Father. Listen to the author's call and enjoy Him. This brings us to our second point, know Him. As we've established, though, you can't really rejoice in the Lord, can you? Unless you know him. And so the psalmist continues with the next movement in his symphony. Know that the Lord, he is God. The word that's used here for know is an imperative form of a Hebrew word, yada. This isn't just any kind of knowing. This is a very deep and intimate knowing. To know on this level is to experience the other person. We read in Genesis 4 verse 1 that Adam knew his wife Eve. And she conceived and she bore a son. It's the same word. We're not just talking about a physical union here. The Bible speaks about this as the moment when two become one flesh. A bond that's much deeper than mere physical. A bond that's spiritual, emotional, and psychological. It's embedded in the deepest part of your soul. And this is what he calls to mind as he calls us to know the Lord. Know the Lord. He is God. Know that the Lord. He is God. Now, obviously, we can't know another human being in this way if we just have a surface-level relationship with Him, can we? And the same is true for God. We can't know Him in this deep and intimate way if we just have a surface-level relationship with Him. Think back to the first few verses of this passage for a moment and, and reflect on this. Are you not able to find joy simply being in the presence of the Lord as the psalmist calls you to? Is that you today? Sometimes the reason for this is because we struggle with chemical imbalances in the brain, causing depression or anxiety. And that's simply a reality of this broken world. It's very difficult. But in these times, we need to recognize that even if we don't feel joy directly in this moment, God is still faithfully there for us. But there are other times when we don't feel this joy for the Lord, and that's simply because we haven't bothered to cultivate a deeper relationship with Him. I can't do devotions because I don't have time. I'm off to work in the morning first thing and I come home late at night. My kids keep me running from dawn to dusk. I don't have time to sit down to read and pray. My wife and I go to bed at different times. She's asleep by the time I come in. We can't do devotions together. These are all excuses. You can work around them. If your relationship is important... Do you. you want to know how? Just ask the many other parents, people who are working, people who are married, how they do it. Talk to the godly role models in your life, people whom you know are strong in the faith, whom you respect for that, whose spiritual walk you really respect. Ask them how they do it. Ask them, whether you're 5 or 50, ask them. It doesn't require much effort to ask. Ask how they weave it into their day-to-day life. How they make it their daily pattern. And after that, ask them to help keep you accountable for the first little while until it becomes a pattern for you. It's as simple as that. Now, my, my point with listing these kinds of excuses and the many others that we have besides, is, is not to, to load you down with guilt and to make you feel bad that you're, you're not doing enough. This is not a question of checking off some boxes so that you can be right with God, because if you're doing this in order to be right with God, well, that, you'll, you'll never be right with God on the basis of your own work. That's why we look to Jesus Christ. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and you have assurance of that, then you know you will be saved. Obviously, if you don't want to know the Lord, you have a greater problem, and we'll not get into that this morning, but that's my point today. My point is this. You want to come to know the Lord deeply and intimately? You want to come to enjoy His presence? Do you want to find joy in Him? It's a really beautiful thing if you do. Ask for help. There are many people, so many people around you in the church here today who are willing and ready to take this journey with Him so that you may know that the Lord, He is God. And the beautiful thing about knowing the Lord in this way is this. Once you know that the Lord is God, you know him in this way, then what follows out of that immediately in a passage? Look to the passage for a second to see. You can have this confidence. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Yahweh, your covenant Lord, The one who bound himself in a relationship with you who believe. He is your God. He made you. I don't know if this means much to you at this moment in time. But for the people of Israel, this would have been an incredible comfort as they were gathering together. You see, they were surrounded by nations who all claimed to have their own gods. Their own deities who controlled a particular river or a trait like fertility or an event like victory. And this would have been their day-to-day life. This would have been reality for them if they were in one of those nations that they were talking about at the beginning of the day. This would have been the reality for them. But by saying what he did, the psalmist is placing Yahweh far above those other gods. He is preeminent. And so this God himself bends the knee. John Calvin writes, What man is, he's not by virtue of his own efforts. What he has is not owned by him. It is he that made us and we are his. This is the way in which the creature speaks of his maker. And the Lord on whom he depends in everything. And to whom he alone can turn to help. Just another God? What would the Israelites do with that? But this is God, the Lord. This is the Lord whom they can claim as their own, whom we can claim as our own. This is not only the God who made me, but the one who has laid claim on me. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We might not feel like we belong in this world, especially when things look grim financially or emotionally or when they are uncertain with regards to our job or our relationships. But we can know that there is one place where we do belong. And that's in the care of our God. We belong to Him as His people. We belong. And this brings us to our third point. Coming to the next section of the psalm. The next movement in the symphony of praise the progression in the psalm becomes especially clear. We read, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So what's the response to knowing Yahweh, the Lord, as your covenant God? Well, it's to draw near to him. You have been called out of the nations to draw near to him. The picture is one of a pilgrim who, knowing the Lord, has made the pilgrimage from the distant scattered nations to the place where the Lord has his sanctuary. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. This is the first progression. The pilgrim, as he's drawing near to God, he walks up the winding streets through the crowded city and then through the gates of the temple itself. And taking this first step onto the temple grounds fills him with thanksgiving. Today, as Christians, we, gathered together, are the temple of God, 1 Peter 2. Each of us are living stones that make up that temple, and as we gather together for worship as a body, God is present in a very special way. And I think that sometimes as Christians, we tend to lose sight of how amazing and how precious it is to gather together as this body. Rather than being filled with Christian joy at the opportunity we have to gather together and worship, it becomes a, a drudgery, a chore, or a box to tick off. But the point of worship, is to recognize that we are coming together for worship. And worship is not just an atmosphere which an individual, a particular individual who is preaching the word, brings, nor is it the music that is played, nor is it fellowship with the people who are beside us in the pew. Worship is, as one dictionary puts it, the expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Or as the theologian John Piper puts it, right worship depends on the right grasp in our minds of the way God really is and a right response in our hearts to His worth. And so follows the next step in the progression. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. We give thanks because we recognize that our God uh, sorry, enter, enter his courts with praise. We, we give praise because we recognize that our God is of inestimable worth. He is a holy, just, and righteous God. and He's fully worthy of our adoration and rever- reverence. If you believe in him, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, his son, you do recognize that of ourselves, we are unworthy, miserable sinners. We deserve hell. And we have no right to enter His gates at all. We deserve to be struck dead at the entryway. And yet for the sake of Christ His Son, as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove your transgressions from you. And as the Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. And so you are not struck dead as you step through the gateway. You are not struck dead as you enter into His courts but you are given the opportunity and the privilege. Not only does God let you live, but He lets you draw near and worship towards Him. The worshiper is drawing nearer and nearer with every step in this verse. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and then enter into His courts with praise, and then give thanks to Him. Bless His name. The worshiper is drawing nearer and nearer to the God that he knows is his until he stands in his very presence. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And this brings us to our final point. So, we enjoy our Lord. We seek to know him intimately. And then we are called should draw near to him. And the question is, why? It's a pretty intimidating thought to expose yourself emotionally to another human being, to be intimate with another human being, and to feel that you need to reach a point with that other human so that the two of you can just sit together and enjoy each other's company. Maybe you do have someone like that in your life. But that makes you all the more aware that that's not a relationship you have with everyone. But the psalmist here has no hesitation in diving into a relationship like this with God and striving to have it be as intimate as possible. Why does he have no hesitation here? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, or in some translations, it might say, His mercy is everlasting. Humans can hurt you. When when you're with another human being, sin comes into the mix. And then your feeling of their faithfulness towards you wavers. But with God, that's different because the Lord is good. The Lord is good to all who draw near to Him in faith. His mercy is everlasting. This word for steadfast love that we read here is the famous Hebrew word chesed. Translated as loving kindness or even better, loyal love. It's undeserved, unwavering love and it's aimed directly at the people whom God has chosen for Himself. If the people of the Old Testament could lay claim to this beloved, if the people of the Old Testament could lay claim to this love as they drew near to God in worship, how much more can we today not do the same? How can we not even be even more confident of His love towards those who humbly draw near to Him in worship after He allowed the death of His own beloved Son as the payment for our sins? So coming back to our question from the beginning, how are you feeling? You may be feeling rotten. Your world may be in a difficult place right now. Things are not all okay in the world. And it's all the more highlighted by the fact that this is the Christmas season and everybody around you seems to be enjoying themselves, spending time with family, celebrating and rejoicing together. And yet, as we draw near in worship, we can trust in the steadfast, loyal love of our heavenly God and Father. Bells of Confession, Article 23, says it well. Therefore, we always hold to this firm foundation. We give all glory to God humble ourselves before him, and acknowledge ourselves to be what we are. We don't claim anything for ourselves or our merits, but we rely and rest on the only obedience of Jesus Christ crucified. His obedience is ours when we believe in him. And that's a big deal. God himself sent Christ so that we can draw near in worship without being consumed by his wrath. We stand as righteous before God for Christ's sake. And now he embraces us with his loyal love. So beloved congregation, listen to the call of this psalmist today. Take the time today to slow down and enjoy God. Enjoy this covenant, faithful God and his steadfast love. Seek to know him, to draw near to him, to enter his presence with worship and praise. Take your Sunday as a moment of privilege where you can leave your worries and cares at the door, knowing that the Lord will take care of them while they are laid aside. And come into his courts, together as the body of Christ, together as living stones in the temple of God, and rejoice in him. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen.